We have several people today covering and filling in gaps for others. If you're some of those that are covering and filling in gaps, whether it's with guest services or with our worship team or with children's environments, next worship experience, we just thank you. As uh, Audrey mentioned earlier, we just have several in our church over the last week that have gotten sick. And so um, if you're at home watching and you're one of those, our, our prayers have been with you and they'll continue to be with you. Um, it's just one of those hard seasons, a lot of illness going around. I do have some exciting news to share with you, though. Um, we, on Christmas Eve and the week leading up to Christmas Eve and the week after Christmas Eve, uh, we're collecting a very special offering to go directly to uh, those in Kentucky who are affected by the tornadoes. Uh, the money will be used by IDES, one of our partners, but 100% of it goes directly to uh, tornado cleanup, um, victims of the tornadoes. And uh, we, we put a challenge before you uh, that the church would match uh, up to $12,000 in, in giving. Um, you responded in an incredible way. $22,618.76 was given with the matching funds, that's $34,618.76 that will be going to help with stuff. That's incredible. Like if you had told me um, the week leading up to that that we would come together to do that, uh, I probably wouldn't have believed that. I, I was hopeful that we could use all the matching funds, um, but, but to have $34,000 given. And I think that 76 cents is important. Um, I've shared this with a couple people. Uh, oftentimes those that have... Uh, means will just round up to an even dollar amount. But often the cents come from those who are just scrounging for what they can. And, and I think it often comes from children. And often it comes from some of ours that are on disability or social security incomes. And it's just what they have. And so I love those 76 cents. Don't get me wrong. I like the 34,618. But the 76 cents, I think, just represent the church uh, coming together young to old, to make a difference and to bring hope to people. Our vision is to be an outpost of hope. And that's one way that we get to do that is to bring hope to people who are devastated. And, and, and my hope is, and I'm sure it will happen if we experience that type of devastation here, I'm sure the church will rally around us. And so we just get to be a part of his incredible kingdom. But even thinking about Christmas Eve, uh, doesn't that feel like that was a long time ago? Like, like we, are, we are just two weeks in a day removed from Christmas, but in many ways, it feels like it was last year. Well, it's because it was last year, but it feels like it was much, much longer ago than just two weeks. Like, when you can think back to two weeks, and you're like, yeah, I did this, I did but, but Christmas was just two weeks ago, but yet somehow when the routine of life kind of kicks in, and um, kids are back in school, and work parties are no more, it's all about business now, and vacation days are over it's like life just has a way of making it feel like it was a long time ago. Something else that helps with that is if you noticed, um, our boys went to one of our local stores within a few days of Christmas and they came back and they said, hey, dad, they, they have Easter and Valentine stuff out already. And I thought, well, we were just like two or three days removed from Christmas. Like how is there Valentine's Day and Easter stuff out already? And believe it or not, like I was at Walmart last night and they have an aisle and they have... Easter trees by Reese's that are already on the shelf. Um, I picked up some, some Easter, can, uh, Easter candy, Valentine's candy last night. You know, um, when we think about the next several weeks, uh, in many ways, it's kind of the season of the heart. Uh, you probably have seen the research. Valentine's Day uh, in this 
the weeks leading up to are some of the most lucrative for retailers. Uh, from heart-shaped boxes and heart-shaped candies to restaurants to cards to cards that kids give to each other to flowers, uh, chocolate industry. Like these are lucrative weeks leading up to Valentine's Day. It's the season of the heart, and it got me thinking: how how did the heart come to be associated? with Valentine's Day. And so I was researching, and there are a number of legends, none of which I can prove to where they're fact. There's, some, there's something that goes back to the, the 13th century, and uh, some guy gave a heart that was shaped like a pine cone. They thought it was shaped like a heart to a woman. And, and you can go back to the 5th century and look at the story of St. Valentine. But, but how is it that the heart became so connected to love? And if you just think about it, we can even say to someone now, I heart you, and what do they know? I love you, right? We, we, we use heart as a way of affirming and saying we are in agreement with someone on social media. You just, you just tap a button on your phone and you hearted something. You have loved something. You care about something. When, when someone just sends you a note, if they just put a heart on there, you know that they mean they love you. How did the heart get to the place where it's what is connected with love? Why not the brain? Why not the liver? Uh, why not the spleen? Why not a hand? Why not a foot? And even just thinking about that seems absolutely ridiculous to us. Can, can you imagine like, like hitting a little liver icon next to your favorite post on social media? Why is it that the heart is what was chosen? You know, if we go back a long time in history, we can go back to Aristotle and Plato. And Aristotle and Plato, two philosophers wrote about the heart as this place of decision-making, as this place where conviction and desire is born and, and, and kind of what, what, what pre uh, comes before our, our actions, like something happens in the heart. Why? why? Why do we look at the heart this way? We can go back to ancient civilizations and see that they looked at the heart this way. And here's what we find out is that even in our earliest civilizations, as people had health issues, and people got sick and people died. When people would try to find out why and they would open up the human body, they found this organ right near the center of the body with, with all these blood vessels and arteries. And they could see that there was something about this organ that dictated what happened in the rest of a human body. And so very early on, even without all the science that we have now, people began to associate the heart not just with the physical organ, but with something abstract, the inner person. That just as the heart can carry blood and nutrients to the body, that there's something about what happens inside of a person that dictates how they live and what they do. And so the heart began to be associated with that inner person, the inner human being, the inner man, the inner woman, their decisions, their desires, their convictions, their will. And that leads to the heart being the symbol of love because when we love someone, we desire them. We have affection for them. Our, our decisions are, are in some way shaped around that person and for that person. In fact, I would submit that most of the time when we think of the heart, the very last thing we think of is the physical actual organ that pumps blood to our bodies, we talk about having a broken heart. And we don't mean that that physical heart has been broken into pieces. We mean that there's something about who we are inside that's hurting. Maybe it's grief, maybe it's a breakup, 
Maybe it's a divorce. Uh, maybe it's some other hardship. We, we lost a job and our hearts break. We, we, we challenge athletes to put their whole heart into it. Well, it's not science. Everywhere that athletes go, the heart goes with them, right? They're not talking about the physical heart. They're talking about like, like the, all the conviction, like everything they have, like that inner person would be completely committed and sold out to what's happening. We look at the heart as that place of conviction and decision and desire. That's why we talk about the heart when it comes to Valentine's Day. The heart's important. How many of us know the importance of having a friend that's heart is good? It shouldn't surprise us that when we come to the word of God, that again and again, God speaks through his messengers about the heart in this way. That the one who formed us, the one who created us, the one who fashioned us, the made us in his image, speaks about the heart as that place of decision and desire and conviction and will, the inner human being, that abstract sense of the heart. We're gonna look at several places in a little bit, but I wanna start in 1 Samuel. We, over the next several weeks for January and February, are going to be learning lessons about the heart of God from the life of David, uh, looking at the heart of God. In 1 Samuel, um, we see this change in the history of God's people. So, so God called Abraham in Genesis. He said he would establish this new nation for him, through him. Uh, Abraham has a child, uh, that child has a child, that child has multiple children. They become the tribes of Israel. Israel gets taken off to uh, captivity uh, in Egypt uh, under the time, during the time of Joseph. They get rescued from slavery some 400 years later. Moses leads the Israelites to the desert, to the promised land. Uh, Moses dies, Joshua takes over. The people are establishing themselves in the promised land. And the people need leadership. And what we find after the time of Joshua is that a season in the life of God's people begins called the time of the judges. There's this kind of roller coaster life that Israel lives where they obey God and trust God and honor him and then they forget about him. And as they forget about him and life gets really hard, God raises up a judge and that judge helps turn their hearts back to God. And then we get to the time of judges and Israel says, listen, this isn't really working. How about we, we have a king if we look around at all the people around us, they have a king. What we really need, God, is we need, we need a king to lead us. If we just had a king, we would be better. If we just had a good king, life would be better. And God says, no, 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 you don't need a king. You just need me. I'm your king. Just listen to me, follow me, obey me, and it will be so much better for you than if you put a human being on the throne. And they said, no, 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 we really want a king. And God said, okay. He talked to his prophet Samuel, give them what they want. And so Samuel goes and he sets apart a man named Saul to be the first king of Israel. God's primary desire for a king over Israel is that their heart would desire what he desires and that they would lead people to worship him and to honor him. And it doesn't take long after Saul is anointed for you to see, while Saul may profess to love God with his lips, his unrepentant disobedience reveals that his heart is not in alignment with God's. And so God comes to him through the prophet Samuel and says, listen, Saul, your, your time is gonna come to an end. Um, I'm gonna raise up a different type of king. In 1 Samuel 13, here's what Samuel actually says to Saul. God has Samuel go to Saul and here's what he says. 
uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom will not endure. This is following an example of the disobedience I was just talking about with Saul. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And God says, Saul, I'm going to find somebody else whose heart beats for the things that my heart beats for. So when we come to 1 Samuel 16, we find Samuel anoint that next king whose heart beats for the things that God's heart beats for. And here's what transpires in 1 Samuel 16. God comes to Samuel. He is grieving. He is mourning that Saul did not fulfill the responsibilities of king that he had hoped. And, and, and God says, Samuel, enough crying over Saul. It's time to go. Go to Bethlehem, find Jesse. Jesse has a son who, who matches the criteria that I've, I've articulated. And so go and find him. So Samuel leaves. He goes to Bethlehem. He finds Jesse. They throw this big feast. They sacrifice an animal. And then Jesse brings his sons before Samuel to see who the next king will be. And here's what happens. Verse 6, 1 Samuel 16. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. There was something when Samuel saw Eliab, and we'll know what that is in just a moment, that made him say, oh, now that, that's king material right there. But listen to God's response, verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. If you were to go back to when Saul was selected as king, one of the things we're told is about how big and tall the stature of Saul. So Saul didn't work out, so Samuel looks at this up, well, he's strong, he's big, he must be the next king of Israel. And God says, no, don't, don't look at those things. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart is important to God. Samuel sees these sons of Jesse, and the first one is strong. He's, he's tall, like, like he's a powerful king. And God says, no, I don't see what man sees first. Man's always captivated by what they see on the outside. I want to know what's on the inside. Man judges by what he sees on the outside. You know, we have the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, but what do we all do when we go to the bookstore and we go to the library? We want to see a good cover, right? We, we are trained to look at the outside because I don't look at the outside. I look at the heart. I told you a few moments ago that the scriptures are full of this example of God looking at the heart, God being concerned about the heart. Here, here's just a few. Genesis chapter six, verse five. God has created the heavens and the earth. Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. God is rebuilding and moving towards his great end in Jesus. And there's this indictment on the human race in Genesis six, verse five. It grieved God that he saw that every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. God looks out at the human race and he says that when he looks at them, something is rising to the surface that their hearts are aligned with evil. He's concerned about the heart. 
Fast forward to another chapter six, verse five. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And we look to the time of the kings. It's not just Saul and David where we see this issue with the heart. Solomon, David's son, we, we hear about his heart. In fact, we hear that Solomon's wives that he took from all these other kingdoms with his influence turned his heart away from God. And then we see a recurring theme in the lives of the kings that most of them, we learn that their hearts turned away from God. There are a few Josiah, Hezekiah, among a a handful of others whose hearts seek the Lord. Move into the time of the prophets as as God is um, speaking out against Israel and challenging them. And again, the heart rises to the surface. Here are a couple famous words of some of the prophets. Jeremiah 17 and Ezekiel 36. Look at Jeremiah 17 first. Again, just seeing that God is concerned about the heart, this place of desire and conviction and where, this place where decisions come from. In Jeremiah 17, 9, God speaks to the prophet. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is often why we say, be careful using the phrase, just trust your heart. Before you trust your heart, figure out what your heart is aligned with And then you can decide if you want to trust it or not. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. God is concerned about the heart. Or Ezekiel 36. As Ezekiel looks out to a new day, the people have been living in rebellion. They're experiencing the consequences for their rebellion And God looks out to a new day, Um, Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Here's the promise of God. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, that calloused, hard heart, and give you a heart of flesh, soft, moldable, pliable to align with me. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel looks out and says, there's a day coming when my spirit's gonna invade mankind and completely change their hearts. So there won't be hearts of stone, will be hearts of flesh. They can align with me and obey me and follow me. God is concerned with the heart. And it's not just what we see in the Old Testament. You can flip into the pages of the New Testament and you can hear Jesus himself say, you've heard that it was said. Here's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, Jesus, in fact, in Luke chapter six tells us how important the heart is. And we'll read that in just a little bit where he talks about that what comes out of a person, specifically what comes out of their mouth, is reflection of what's gone into their hearts, that place of decision-making, the influences that haven't had an effect on their lives. We can fast forward to Acts, the days of the early church. Jesus has ascended. The the early church, Jesus' spirit is living in them, working out his purposes like he's working out in us. And here's what we hear about the spirit of God uh, in Acts 15, verse eight. I mean, the heart of God. God, who knows the heart show that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. God knows the heart. 
We can look into the words of Paul who talks about the importance of the heart. Here's the point. God cares about the heart. God is most concerned about the heart. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We, we, we're, we are entering into this series looking at the heart of God. And the first few weeks of this series are, are concentrated on seeing his heart for humanity. And when we look into the life of David, what we can see here is, as it pertains to humanity is that God is most concerned with humanity's heart. God is most concerned with your heart. But why is this such a challenge? For the very thing that God convicts Samuel of is that so often as people, we're concerned with what we see. We're most concerned with what's on the outside. Just think about your life and the lives of others that you know. How much effort, how much money, how much time do we spend trying to portray a certain image to the world? How often have we made selections of friends, other types of relationships? How, long, how often have we hired someone more for what they look like than who they are? And anyone who's employed people and had to let employees go knows the, the dangers of hiring someone just because they look good. I always think when I hear this of the words I heard from a professor in Bible college is that the ugliest people make the best preachers. And so I've prayed to be as ugly as I possibly can be. Um, but how often do we look at the outside first? How often are we more concerned with our own image than the image of God that's being shaped and formed within us? In our world that loves its Gucci and its Louis Vuitton and its Yeezys and its Supreme and it's Nike, and it's Hollister, and it's Abercrombie, and the list goes on and on. We so often think that what's on the outside matters most. But God says, no, it's what's on the inside. Do you understand that God cares far more about our heart than what you wear? God cares far more about your heart than where you vacation. God cares far more about your heart than what you drive. God cares far more about your heart than the handbag that you carry. God cares about your heart. Do we care about our heart? Do we know it's the place that, that, from which all life flows as the writer of Proverbs 4.23 tells us? This is what drew God to David. In, in Acts chapter 13, uh, we have this beautiful statement about David. I choose Acts 13 because it's nearly a thousand years after David had lived. So just think a minute, a person lives and then 1,000 years later, this is what they're remembered for. Like what will you be remembered for 10 years after you die? What will people say about you? 1,000 years later, this is what Paul is telling people about David. Acts 13, 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king and God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. 1,000 years. David is dead. He is buried. His bones have decayed into dust. And, and yet what he's remembered for is that his heart chased after the things of God. 
just get morbid for a moment. If your life ended today, what would people say your heart chased after? Does it chase after the things of God? Do our hearts beat for the things of God? How do we know? How do we know what our hearts beat for? Let's go to the words of Jesus in Luke 6. Because he gives us a way to test if we look at what comes out of us. Verse 45 of Luke chapter 6. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. These words come on the heels of Jesus relating um, trees and fruit. You can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. He says you can look at a person, you can listen to the words that they speak, you can watch the things that they do, and you can tell what's gone into them. Here's what we know about life. Life has a way of squeezing us and revealing what's inside of us. Perhaps it's never been more apparent than the last two years. Uh, when uncertainty seems to prevail, uh, when we think we're getting back to some degree of normalcy and it all shifts and changes, we have been pressed. Um, all of us have been pressed, some more than others. If you work in the medical field, you have been pressed. If you have experienced sickness and illness from COVID-19 or had loved ones die, you have been pressed. Whenever I think of this passage, I think of our hearts like a sponge. A sponge can only soak up what it's put around. If I stick the sponge in coffee, guess what it's going to absorb? Coffee. If I put it in water, it's going to absorb water. If I put it in coffee and water, it's going to get coffee and water in it. And what happens when force is exerted on it? What's gone in is what's going to come out. So how do we know if we're most concerned about the things that matter to the heart of God? It's that when life squeezes us, what is coming out of us? Are they things that seem to resonate with the character of God, that honor him? Do we see good coming out of us, out of our mouths, out of our actions that reflect the goodness of God? Or do we see other things that shows us what's inside of us? My hope is that over the next several weeks uh, through the month of February, that this series looking at the heart of God from lessons in the life of David will act like a spiritual EKG. An EKG will allow a doctor to get some idea of the health of your heart. It won't give the full picture, but it'll give part of the picture. They can do ultrasounds to get more of a picture. But can this series act like a spiritual EKG that can say, what is the condition of the inner person? Is your heart aligned with the heart of God? And if it's not, will we commit to doing whatever it takes to Make sure this heart is healthy so that when life squeezes it, the goodness of God comes out. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart. The old version said, for it's the wellspring of life. A new version says, guard your heart, for this is where all life flows from. 
How intentional are we about putting centuries at our heart to guard it? Do we know that every conversation, every YouTube video, every video game, every movie, every song, every book, every blog post, every social media feed, everything we read, we listen to, we hear, we watch, it goes into the sponge of our heart. And guess what? If there's not enough of the good in there to help us filter that and to know what's right, what's wrong, when we are pressed, things that we abhor and things that horrify us will come out. Will you guard your heart? What if, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you could come to see there's no such thing as just innocently binging Netflix? I'm not saying that binging something on Netflix is, is necessarily wrong, but, but what if we saw that everything we see, every act of violence, every act of sexual conduct, every, every like profane word, that, that everything somehow is being absorbed, how are, how are we processing that? What will come out of us? Well, our hearts desire the things of God. May this series be a spiritual EKG. May we come to see if our hearts beat for the things of God. May maybe instead of us, what God said of David, that, that their hearts were like mine. In this series, our goal is not to have a heart like David's. Our goal is to have a heart like God's. That's what David was honored for. In fact, we're gonna see next week that you look at the life of David, there are so many ways to see where he failed. And we wanna highlight those because it shows us that God can use the imperfect. But what made David different than Saul is that Saul was unrepentantly disobedient. Yet David, we see this continual turn back to God. Yes, he strays. Yes, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Yes, he kills Bathsheba's husband. Yes, he does this. Yes, he does that. But he keeps his orientation as God. No, I wanna honor you. I wanna follow you. He had a heart like God's. And so may we have hearts like his. You know, there are, there are diets that you can take to have a healthy heart. They call it a heart-healthy diet. In fact, you can go to the grocery store and you can find items on the shelf that have a little heart next to them. It tells you that this is probably good for your heart. If you find oatmeal, it's gonna have a little heart symbol. It's good for your heart. There's food, there are supplements that you can take that help your physical heart function more optimally. Do you know that as a disciple of Jesus, there are things that you can do to help you have a healthy heart? Talk about exercise for a healthy heart? You can exercise. These spiritual disciplines, these spiritual exercises that we looked, like, looked at in the last half of last year, anything from serving to reading and praying and meditating on his word to uh, giving generously to being hospitable to fasting to Sabbath rest, all of those can act as ways to help our hearts be healthy. Well, we desire a heart like his. Again, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if we know that his heart desires for the human heart to be like his, will we desire for the world to experience his heart? Will we see that as we go to the stores, we go to work, as we call our friends and our family members, that, that we have opportunities to reveal to them the heart of God, that they might desire his very best in their own life? And if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, may you come to see that God wants to create a new heart in you.
the prophecy of Ezekiel, I will put a new heart in them. I will give them my spirit. I will change their heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Every human being needs a heart transplant. They need a new heart. And that comes by way of Jesus. Here's the beautiful connection with David and Jesus. So God says, I want to be your king. Israel says, thanks, but no thanks. We want our own king. Saul messes up and makes a mess. God finds David, whose heart beats like his. Where does he find David? Bethlehem. What does he promise to David later in his life? That there will be one to rule on his throne forever. A perfect king. And that's what's so often anticipated in the prophets. And what do we see in Jesus? Matthew does an incredible job of this. He helps us see the connection from David to Jesus being the fulfillment of that prophecy. And oh, by the way, where was that new king Jesus born? In Bethlehem of Judea. Jesus reveals the perfect heart of God. He's called the son of David, the son of man. And he comes and he offers to every human being a chance to be made new. And if you are not yet a disciple of King Jesus, he offers that opportunity to you to have your heart changed. I know that you're haunted sometimes by shame. I know that your past seems to catch up with you. I know that there are things that you have likely done that you think no one could forgive you of, but hear the truth of God to you today that Jesus can change all of that. That he takes you just as you are. He creates a new heart in you. He takes that heart of stone. He makes it a heart of flesh and he allows you to pursue the things of God so that when people and life squeeze you, good things come from you. If you'd like to know more about that, uh, Kurt shared with you some ways. You can scan the QR code. You can fill out physical cards. You can email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org. You can come up to the front of the room and I'm happy to pray with you and talk with you and start that conversation. But let's be people who see God's heart for humanity that our hearts would desire the things of God. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your love and your goodness. God, thank you for your truth. And I am just continually amazed and in awe. One, that you create us and you pursue us even though we fail. That God, you're willing to help our hearts be transformed to reflect yours. God, would you today and would you in the weeks ahead help us grow to have hearts like yours? May our hearts reflect the heart of you, our God. In Jesus' name.